Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, today we're talking about saying goodbye to chronic dieting and hello to listening to your body in midlife. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. Today's topic is going to bring back a lot of memories because you'll probably relate to what it's been like for you over the years to have been focused on your weight or weight loss or chronic dieting, or the way you look in a mirror, or something like that. Personally, I remember that I started thinking about my weight, like I'm really focusing on it, thinking I was fat. Um, And this was way back in grade six. And of course, when I look at those pictures, I'm like, really? (laughs) But that was 54 years ago, my friend. It's a long time ago. And as so uh, many of us do, we think about our weight a lot. So learning to listen to our bodies is a great thing to focus on in midlife. So I'm really excited for you to hear from my guest today. But just quick, before we get going, I want to invite you to have a breakthrough yourself. Now, I know when you're stuck in a midlife funk, feeling confused and unclear about what's next, it can be really hard to even imagine what might be on the other side of your breakthrough to getting unstuck and clear about what you want. So I want to offer you an easy way to start moving in that direction. You can give yourself the jumpstart you need in the form of a breakthrough coaching call. It's a two-hour private coaching call that's basically a deep dive into what's getting in the way of your clarity. We can coach on anything you need to make a breakthrough because, my friend, I have a feeling you're tired of wasting valuable time. So head over to my website at www.susierosenstein.com and click on the Coaching and Workshops tab and you'll see the booking link right there. I have a few spots open now, and one of them can be yours. Okay, now let's get started with this whole idea of what it takes to say goodbye to being a chronic dieter and hello to finally listening to your body when it comes to weight loss. Now, my guest today is Lisa Salisbury. Lisa knows this topic inside and out because she is a former chronic dieter. Today, she helps women lose weight without counting and calculating food. Now, I don't know if that was you. I definitely counted. I didn't do a ton of calculating, but so many do. And that's really what Lisa shares. She herself went from counting and calculating all the food to listening to her body and maintaining a natural healthy weight. She has been there, done that. She's a life coach for health and weight loss. She's also a certified health coach, as well as having a Bachelor of Science in Health and Human Performance. So I know you're going to get a lot out of this interview. Please enjoy. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Hi, Susie. Thanks for having me. So great to have you on. You know, um, I love talking to people about what we were like when we were younger, when we were really worried about um, dieting and counting calories and calculating food. Like we grew up with so much of that. And I know that that is something that became a key part of what you do for a living now. So I love this story. Of course, we met at the Life Coach School a million, what seems like a million years ago because it was before <laughs> the pandemic. 
Yeah. But I love all the changes you've met. And that is the good stuff that we talk about here on the Women in the Middle podcast. So let's get started with talking a little bit about what was going on for you in your 40s and what it was like to grow up with that kind of a focus on weight loss. Yeah, definitely. That was the way I grew up. Lots and lots of comments on weight, my weight, other people's weight. And, you know, I really started worrying about it in high school, especially. And then on into college, I had several seemingly, as I look back, adult men that commented on my weight, you know, my, what do you mean they commented on your weight? Oh, um, I had a teacher in high school that told me I should probably lose some weight. I had, um, yeah, a a male teacher. I had, um, I, I tried to be on the swim team in college. I was, I swam that first semester and we did a, uh, body fat test as a swim team. Why? Why do we need to know our body fat? But it, nonetheless, I was called in and my adult male coach told me my body fat was too high and that, and he gave me some supplements some like multivitamins to help with that. Oh my God. Now I know we're on Zoom and as a podcast <laughs> listener, you can't see my face, but my eyebrows just lifted off of my head. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of weird. Like looking back, I'm like, how did that happen? And you can imagine like I was swimming and we, we were, we were doing two a day practices. Like whether it was the fact that I was the slowest girl on the team is not relevant to the fact that I was swimming four hours a day. Sometimes in the morning we were lifting weights for an hour. So it would be lifting for an hour, swim for an hour, and then swim two hours in the afternoon. You can imagine what my body looked like at that time. I mean, I looked amazing. I have to say, (laughs) I can't even imagine anybody swimming four hours a day, but yeah, (laughs) it's a lot. So, um, I, I was let go from the swim team at the semester at Christmas time. Which was fine. I knew I was never really going to be competitive in that environment. Like I wasn't good enough and that was fine. I was a good swimmer, but I wasn't a college swimmer. So, um, I, I didn't redirect my eating. You can, when, when you're exercising that much, when you're a college athlete, you do have to compensate when you're eating. I did not then pull back on my eating and I was eating at the dorms food, you know. And so I quickly put on my freshman 15. And, uh, so then I struggled. I struggled with my weight and it was confusing because I wasn't working out as much as I used to. And so I couldn't. And then, you know, you get into your twenties and you're like, wait, I can't just eat whatever I wanted. Like your that mentality that you have when you're a teenager started having babies. And this is where things really got crazy in my brain. Because during those pregnancy and nursing years, there was just a huge push to get that weight off, get down to your pre-pregnancy weight, get back into your genes. And a lot of pressure to do that. Society from my family, my sisters, you know, those kinds of things. And, and if they're lifting, it's not that they did anything, right? It's just that they managed to do it. So I should, right? Um, and I remember with my fourth child, having this thought, well, this is the last time I can be fat. And again, Susie's eyebrows are coming off her face because that's a crazy thought. 
it, I love when we catch these thoughts. So it's amazing at that point that you even noticed it, you know? You know, I, I just remember it. I didn't notice it so much that it was unhealthy at the time or that it was just flat out, you know, wrong because number one, pregnancy is not the same as gaining weight, you know, just randomly or it's not being fat basically, but you growing know, a baby, right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> it's a little bit different, but I just had this feeling and this notion that I wasn't going to have a time in my life where I could quote unquote, eat whatever I wanted. Mm. And so there was a lot of unhealthy thought patterns about my weight, about my body, about food going on at this time. And so I tried all the diets after that last baby, you know, well, and in between the other ones as well, I was just constantly dieting down and, you know, not wanting to get pregnant again until I was at that pre-pregnancy weight. I had a doctor, I moved um, for graduate school for my husband when I was pregnant with my first And so four or five months along, I saw the doctor that would then go on to deliver that baby. And he was very old school. Again, adult male told me I should only gain about 18 pounds because I was overweight to begin with. And I'm five, five. And I think I probably started that pregnancy at about 145 pounds. Like I was just fine, just absolutely fine. (laughs) And, you know, so, um, And I don't mean to like, I I hope this doesn't sound like a, like a pity party. All these people said these things to me. It's just that when we look back, we can say, oh, these are some of our primary programmers and it's okay that I think this way. Of course I do. Like, I just have so much compassion for that past self. Like, of course she thought that, of course she thought something was wrong with her body when these are the messages that she is really listening to. And another woman might have just been like, well, you're crazy. And just disregarded it and not remember that comment the next day. And for some reason, my brain was like, this is very important. We shall file it forever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And I know I'm relating to what you're saying. And, and I know that, uh, if you're listening, you're most likely relating to some of this. Maybe not the swimming part. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bit much. Um, but yeah, so that led you down a path of for a very long time, counting calories and buying books and doing all the things like it takes up such a huge amount of space in your mind when you have, um, when you have this programming. Yeah, it really does. And not only that, I, I would get other women in my circle to do the same diets I was on. You know, this happened really clearly with uh, the South Beach diet. I was on that one, dropped a ton of weight. And um, so my friends are like, what are you doing? Like, we got to do that too. And it was, I mean, it was actually kind of weird how I would get people to do that. And now I'm like, it's not the same as what I do now. Uh, yeah, being a coach is different than that, but it's, it is interesting that they just wanted the same thing and they wanted a quick fix and it was Mm -hmm. clearly on their mind and they just wanted what you had to. Yeah. Would you say that that, um, that was one of the most intense things you, that you ever did if you had that kind of success rate with that diet at that time? 
Yeah, that was probably the the one I lost the most on. Yeah. The the thing about that one though is I was a little bit more balanced in my thinking. What really pushed me over the edge and really led me to realizing I needed coaching on this, if not, probably I needed a little therapy, was basically the straw that broke the camel's back was macro counting for me. Mm -hmm. And I know it works for a lot of people. There's a lot of people doing great, great things, great health coaches doing macro counting. So it's no shade to those that it works for them or that are doing that as a business. But for me, that idea of needing to have all three of my macros within plus or minus five grams every single day was a nightmare of obsession. And my anxiety about my weight finally just hit this kind of breaking point. And I realized I was on a very slippery slope down to orthorexia, which is the eating disorder of obsession with eating healthy. Mm. So I would, you know, phone restaurants multiple times. You said you would email me your nutritional information and you didn't. And now I don't know how many protein grams are in that salad. And I must know in order to record. And it was really difficult for me to eat at other folks home, you know, even my family, if I didn't weigh it, I started bringing my kitchen scale to the table. Um, and I remember I have four children, two of whom are girls, and I would bring the kitchen scale to the dinner table with my family to measure and weigh my portion. And I told them, It's this is so that I make sure I get enough protein because mommy lifts weights. Like, no, that wasn't the reason. That was just my cover up. And um I I was able, thankfully, to realize through another coach, she was like, Hey, like, do you see what's happening here? And I was in my health coaching certification at the time and my study partner the week that we did eating disorders. She was like, have you ever heard of this orthorexia thing? And she really kind of put it in my mind, like, and and it's not really that great to be self-diagnosing yourself. I don't know that I had the full-blown eating disorder. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have been able to recognize it. That's why I say I was kind of on that slippery slope down to it. Right. Right. But in any case, it was disordered eating. You don't need to necessarily have a diagnosable eating disorder to be eating in a disordered way. It's just not healthy to be standing in front of the refrigerator eating lunch meat to meet your protein macros when you're not hungry. Mm. I'm not hungry at 930 at night, but I felt the need to meet my protein macro and so eat some turkey right out of the fridge. Wow. I'm so glad that We just took a little bit of time to really take a look at what your life was like then and how hard it was to really see that this isn't quite right because it felt like you were following things to the T, which felt kind of right. But uh, yeah, it got out of control. So when did you see that it was really probably more to do with overeating in general versus, you know, whatever you were thinking that there was something wrong with you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... I realized that with all of, of the counting and the calculating that some days I just wasn't as hungry. First of all, I wasn't honoring my hunger at all. Like I, like I said, I would, I would eat to meet macros rather than, than respond to what my body wanted. I would check in 
with my diet app rather than checking in with my body, mm. which I think is what we all do. Should I eat more? Is it time to eat? I would also check in with the clock because I would be on particular diets that would tell you to eat every two hours. And so I would be checking with the clock and I would was completely disregarding what my body was telling me. And I distinctly remember I was working with a coach and I sat down and I ate lunch without weighing it, without measuring it. And I just stopped eating when I was felt like I had had enough. And it was really hard. It was really hard. And at the same time, it was really freeing. I was like, I can actually do this. Mm-hmm. I can just do it. I can depend on my body. I have the skills and the knowledge. And it definitely took some practice, but for sure, I was overeating. Not every meal. It wasn't because like my macros were calculated too high. It's because I couldn't stick with that stuff for very many days. And so although I was obsessively counting and calculating, inevitably I was overeating on the weekends. I was having a few meals where I'm like, well, I'll just, I'll just keep eating after I'll, I would weigh and measure and then we're doing dishes and then I'm snacking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And so it goes. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm having a little bit of a flashback as I always do when I interview interesting people. <laughs> um, of, uh, one time I was working with a coach and she, she made some casual reference to something she had done about eating cashews. And it was a comment. I forget if it was in a blog or if it was in a conversation. I don't remember, but, um, she, said that she ate a cashew and then ate another cashew and then ate another cashew. And then she could tell that she wasn't hungry anymore. And I remember rolling my eyes right to the back of my head. I don't know what my eyebrows were doing, that they were probably also gone off my head. (laughs) But I was like, what? How can you tell the difference between this cashew and that cashew when it comes to hunger and feeling full? I thought it was ridiculous. So I ended up uh, working with her for a little bit and we went to a restaurant one day And we had a bowl of soup and she was really challenging me on noticing the difference between spoonful one, spoonful two, spoonful three, because I had the same idea about soup. I'm like, it's just a slurp. How's your body going to know the difference? And sure enough, when you slow things down, you can tell a difference. I was shocked. And that awareness really did challenge some of the ways that I was thinking Uh, And I didn't think it was overeating, but clearly it's overeating when you're not checking in with yourself and your body doesn't need it. Mm -hmm. That's so valuable that you notice that. Have you had clients be so surprised by a slurp of soup or a nut? (laughs) Um, I can't think of like that kind of thing in particular, but I, I think what they have been surprised at is that there's no, there's no idea that we can't have certain foods. And so They've been surprised that they can lose weight through the weekend, through a vacation, through an event that they can, you know, I had several on family reunions this summer and they're like, it's so weird that I ate all the things and also still lost weight. And I think that's their miracle. It wasn't so much the the singular bites as that they realized they can have some of these foods and the idea that like, I can eat whatever I want as long as I pay attention to my body and pay attention to those bites. You want to have birthday cake? Absolutely. 
we're just not going to have the whole cake. That's okay. It's, (laughs) it's not even, here's something too, about what they're noticing is that more of that food doesn't actually increase the pleasure of the experience. We think like, oh, what's more fun is to have six handfuls of cashews because cashews are delicious. But at some point there's, it's a point of diminishing returns. You get to the point of enough and then you get full and then we get pain and we tolerate a lot of stomach pain, which when we're very full, that's what it is. Right. But we're just like, it's okay. I'm just full. And we tolerate all this pain thinking, well, that was really fun to eat all that food, but didn't actually increase the enjoyment of the entire experience because now, Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Well, and that kind of leads to this uh, thing that so many of us grew up with when it comes to overeating or not thinking about what we're eating is having to clean your plate. Tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about how this comes up in your world. Well, especially in our age group, we, we grew up with this and I'm sure some of your listeners had parents that said, finish your plate. They're starving children in fill in the country. Yes. For me, <laughs> it was Africa. That was the early eighties. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, is that very confusing to a child? Like how does finishing my broccoli affect those children? It's, it's very confusing, but then we are again, disregarding our bodies. We're disregarding what our bodies are telling us whether that's, I just don't like broccoli or I'm very full. The thing about the clean plate is that we all collectively use this term because it was a government program in the early century with, um, well, started with world war one and it was revived in world war two. So our grandparents were very, very likely to be actual members of the clean plate club in their schools. Oh, wow. Established in schools. You can find like the old wartime posters that they had for the schools. And the truth is they did need to conserve food at that time to send either to the recovering countries in Europe because there were starving children in Europe because of the war-torn situation that was happening. And we also, during the war, we needed to support our troops. And we really did. There were rations. You probably, I, I know stories of my grandma who was here in America and on rations. So the idea that they needed to clean their plate was, you know, in the cafeteria line back when they were given food, you know, on their plates in a cafeteria, they were to only take what they believed they needed and then clean their plate to show that they didn't take excess in order to conserve food and have there be enough overall, right? So the foundation of it, you can see how that happened. Unfortunately, then they learned, okay, well, we have to clean our plates. They taught their children and here we are in the eighties and our parents are like, well, we better clean our plates, but we weren't having rations. There was plenty to go around at that point. We were sending, America was sending food to Africa and those places at that time, the best we could. And so there's just a major disconnect. The problem now with cleaning our plate is that we also have this major portion distortion. So bagels, for example, is an easy example. In the eighties, they were about three inches across. And now they're about six inches across. They're huge. And some of them are very thick. And who doesn't love a thick bagel? But yeah, it's a lot. 
it's a lot. And, you know, supersize menus and going to, you know, a lot of these like chain steakhouses, like they, the amount of mashed potatoes they serve you and the, like, it's a lot of food all the time. We're just served a lot of food. And even in our cookbooks that have been rewritten, The Joy of Cooking, in the 80s, the pan of brownies served 16 people. Now that the new version with the same brownie recipe in the same size pan serves nine. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So we have this major portion distortion where we're, where we're being served and we're being told this is the portion. And then we're also stuck in this, I have to clean my plate. Now imagine how much more food we are eating because we're not paying attention to our hungerfulness cues. So let's talk about that a little bit, because when I first got introduced to mindfulness and started to apply it to hunger, I was blown away at really not only taking the time to notice, but that I was able to tell the difference because it was a very new concept for me. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I like to use a hunger scale. Do you want me to go over my whole hunger scale? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. So I like to use one that goes from negative 10 through zero up to positive 10. There's other hunger scales you'll see out there on the internet, you know, that are just like one, two, three or zero to 10. I like to use the negative 10, positive 10, because it really reinforces that negative 10 hunger is just as uncomfortable. It's just as far from neutral as positive 10 fullness. Like it's not more fun or, you know, more enjoyable to be full as it is to be hungry. It's kind of equal amounts of pain, right? And so, and and that negative 10 hunger is not like, oh, I only had an apple for breakfast. And so now I'm starving for lunch three hours later. Like that's, that's not actually negative 10 hunger, right? We're talking like most of the day you haven't eaten and you're very lightheaded. So lots of symptoms you can kind of point to with that really strong hunger, but we want to start eating at around a negative three. We want to have definite signs of physical hunger. We want to feel an emptiness. We want to feel maybe a gurgle in the stomach. And it's the most enjoyable time to start eating, right? You you know, when you start eating and you're like, well, I'm not really hungry, but everyone else is eating. So I guess this is the time. Yeah, that's not fun. It's really not. So it really is. You're like, yeah, I'm really ready to start eating. You're not angry about it. You're not so hungry that you're like, you know, have to scarf food down to kind of alleviate it. You're just hungry. And then you're going to continue eating your meal up through a positive three. So I call this eating between the threes and, and it's a meal. We're hungry enough to eat a meal. And I want you to actually eat all the way to positive three. This is comfortable enough. We don't feel any kind of pain from our stomach. We don't feel any kind of, um, distension or pushing of the food, right? And it's often before you're emotionally at your enough because emotionally in your brain, you're like, oh, but we always eat more. Mm. We, we always clean our plate. This is not the same as what everyone else is eating. Everyone else is still eating. I should still eat. There's a lot going on in the brain that wants you to go past your physical enough. So it does take quite a bit of mindfulness. And so I do recommend, especially when you're starting with this, 
to have a few rules for yourself. You, you don't have distractions. You don't have your phone. You're not sitting in front of the TV. You're not reading a magazine. Like you're just eating, just pay attention to your body. It's, it's an exercise for you in that mindfulness. And as you get better at it, it will become easier to maybe, you know, read a book or, or something, but I, I don't recommend that you ever scroll social media while you're eating because <laughs> it's, it's very hard to pay attention to our bodies when we're doing that. Um, the other thing is in, in a chair, like sit down in a chair from a plate. It's very hard to pay attention to what you're eating when you're driving or when you're standing up. I noticed that my, both my mom and my mother-in-law do this. I'll be fixing lunch. I'll fix them a sandwich and they'll start eating right there from the counter. And mm-hmm. I'm like, it, it's okay. Like, go ahead and sit down. And they're like, oh, I think, fine. you know what? I think, um, having so many homes have islands. And mm-hmm. I think that, I don't know, it makes it easier to do that sort of thing because it's mm-hmm. kind of conversational, but it's weird. There's just a lot of people like leaning over the counting, uh, the counter, just eating in that mm-hmm. standing up. It's not great. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we have to practice it for sure. Definitely have to practice it. And if you feel like, I don't know, I just feel like I was hungry all day. This is so common with my clients. Uh, Yeah. Tuesday, it was just kind of rough. Like I just was hungry all day. I was like, okay, did you ever sit down and eat a meal? Well, I was really busy and I grabbed this and I grabbed that. And what they're describing is I was negative one hungry. And then I grabbed a little snack and I was positive one. And then I was kind of neutral, but then there was something and I ate that. And then I, and we're jumping around that center section, or even you're at a negative three, but you only have an apple. And so then you're just right back down to a negative three. And in 30 minutes, you didn't take the time to eat an entire meal when you were hungry for a meal. And so we get to the end of the day thinking there's something wrong with me. I've been hungry all day, but the truth is we didn't wait enough to be hungry for a meal and then sit down and eat a whole meal. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really like you need a little planning and you need to prioritize this. You need to honor that you're going to fuel your body in the best way possible, that it's really okay to prioritize this, that it's worthy of your time and attention to prioritize this. Because I know that um, a lot of the women in my community are just too busy. They say they're mm-hmm. too busy to read a book. <laughs> that comes up all the time. So they're too, they're too busy to drink water. Sometimes they're too busy to go to the bathroom. It becomes a whole narrative of based on what we prioritize because whatever it is you prioritize, you're likely getting done. Totally. Yeah. 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 And, and it is so common to be too busy, which I have to say, it took me way more time to be weighing and measuring and counting all my calories and spending all that time on those diet apps. It takes a lot less time to just take three breaths before my meal, be present and eat until I've had enough. I know I'm trying, this sounds simplistic and someone out there is like, yeah, that doesn't work for me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, like you're going to eat you still probably are going to eat. Even when we're busy, we still do eat. And so taking just a a few extra breaths to pay attention to your body during that time will go a long way. Yeah, that's so true. But we do love our stories, don't we? We love our stories. (laughs) So 
I meant to ask you, what was the thing that pushed you into transitioning from health coaching into um, focusing on weight loss and healthy eating? Yeah, I was, so I was kind of looking for a job, basically. (laughs) I was looking for something that I might even be able to do from home. I was always a stay at home mom. And because I had this lifelong, what I thought was interest in nutrition, (laughs) I thought, well, that will be great for, for me to do health coaching. But when I started really healing my own relationship with food and I was I was health coaching, specifically making a difference with uh, people's eating and weight loss. And I would ask them, Hey, do you need to talk more about what you're eating? Like what's on the plate or why you're eating when you're not hungry? And every single one of them that week, because I I thought, well, I'm going to, I had six clients at the time. I thought, I'm going to ask all six of them this question. Every single one, except for the one male client I had said, yeah, it's definitely the why. And I, I realized, okay, that's the life coaching aspect that I'm missing. I can tell them all day long to incorporate protein, fiber, and fat into their meal. We can talk all about how women in this time of life need to emphasize their protein, which by the way, that doesn't mean we need to count and weigh it. (laughs) We just need to make sure we're, we're including it in our meals. And so I realized, okay, I really need to get into, get that life coaching certification, which had the double certification in weight loss coaching that emphasized this hunger scale and the thought process of when I don't feel like eating this thing, or when I feel like, you know, face planting into a pint of ice cream, what's the solution there? And it's the missing piece that I think that all of those diets that I tried didn't have. All they said was, and if you don't feel like this, or if you feel like a sweet, just chew some sugar-free gum. And all that did was literally give me a gum addiction. (laughs) I gave up gum six years ago. You did like to follow rules. (laughs) I was a rule follower. I'm like, yes, I will chew the gum. And (laughs) yeah, I mean, two packs a day will give you a stomach ache from the xylitol. So it was the missing piece. So then you started to go down that road and it sounds like things really started to fall into place uh, for you and your business. Now, one of the things that mm-hmm. comes along with being too busy, the classic thing that so many of us think is lack of uh, pre- food prep, like lack of planning a meal. And so what are some things that you can suggest? Is there a go-to meal? Is there a way that we can baby step our way into that kind of a lifestyle. I would love it, but I do personally, I do find it challenging. Yeah. Meal planning can be really a challenge because it sounds really daunting. Like, well, I don't know what I'm going to feel like eating on Thursday. And so I kind of do this in a couple of different steps. Number one, you mentioned go-to meals. I I love having a list of go-to meals. I have an ebook on this that you can download. It's a free book on how to create your own go-to meals. And we just don't ever want to walk in the kitchen and think, well, I don't have any idea what I want to eat or worse yet. My brain is always like, well, you've never made anything good in your life for lunch. So (laughs) you, you don't really know what, like you open the fridge and you're like, I just don't even know what to eat. And so you just spend an hour 
one day creating some go-to meals. Look back, what what has worked for me either in past diets? I I make stuff from past diets. I don't need to be on that diet. I make a turkey breakfast sausage from the South Beach Diet Cookbook because it's delicious. Oh my and God, it's a great Lisa. Source of protein. Okay, I just had a hilarious flashback. So a million years ago when I was in uh it was grad school, I think, I discovered the Pritikin diet. Mm-hmm. And that's that was I don't even I don't know if that's even around anymore, but um I remember there was one recipe in that book, and it was a little book. It looked like a little novel, a paperback book. And it got so dog-eared and whatever, because I loved this recipe. It was a cinnamon chicken recipe, which sounded bizarre. It had a little apple juice concentrate in it. And it was fantastic. And that was my claim to fame if I was having people over because it was so fancy. It was such a fancy recipe. Yeah, I love that idea because as soon as you said go-to meals, um, this one wasn't on a diet. But right away, I had an image of a go-to meal that when... Whenever I have a chance to buy it, I would grab it. It's some kind of a salad with a citrus dressing and goat cheese. So some kind of interesting vegetables, a salad and goat cheese. Now, have I ever made that for myself at home on the regular? No. But if I see it in a store, I will grab it because it's so delicious. One time I found one in my old gym and it had poached pears in it. And that was just divine. It just felt it just felt like such a quality thing to eat. But with a little bit of planning, I could absolutely make that a regular thing for myself. Yeah. But yeah, but even just thinking about it the way you just suggested is not the way I normally think about it. The other thing too is it can be a regular thing and buy it. I don't want you to think that you have to home make all of these go-to meals because I also have clients that have go-to orders. So yes. they're like, well, we go, we go to, um, you know, Chipotle at least once a week. I'm like, okay, what do we want to order at Chipotle when you go there? It's so we, we can have, and so you could buy that salad every week when you're at the grocery store. Well, and that's I your, found one a, of your go-to's lunch. I found a salad delivery place and oh, perfect. Yeah. And, and I, I like, if I'm going to be around all week, I, I love using it because then not only do I have one salad, but I have them for the week. And the way they package it up, they're fresh and it's fantastic. So uh, I love that idea too. When you find something that works, if there's something you can always order at a restaurant that you love, absolutely helps. And having a delivery service, I constantly am reminding my clients that are so busy, hey, try a meal delivery service. Those, um, you know, HelloFresh or Blue Apron, whatever they're called. There's a thousand that are available. That is such a good option if you are not wanting to cook every single night from scratch. And cost-wise, they land somewhere in between, you know, making everything from scratch and takeout. It's definitely cheaper than going to restaurants and a lot of times way, way more in line with how you really want to eat. Well, and you don't need to deal with decisions. The decision is made and decision fatigue when the kids were little, I just remember walking onto the schoolyard to pick them up from school. And the first question is, what's for dinner? And I'm just like, "Ugh, I don't know. I don't know what's for dinner. What do you have? What ideas do you have? Like, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. 
So that is one great thing about those meal deliveries is the decision is made. You made it already and now you just have to put it together. Yeah. Great ideas. So how can we get a hold of you and how can we get a hold of that guide? It sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, I think we'll put the link in the show notes. Yep. For Um, sure. Okay. So definitely that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me is just download that free guide. I also am on Instagram at well underscore with underscore Lisa, or my website is wellwithlisa.com. Amazing. We'll put the show. Oh, and sorry, one more thing. It's okay. <laughs> I also, you can also, if you want to hear just more about health and weight loss, I do have a podcast. It's called eat well, think well, live well. And so we do talk about those three pillars. So sometimes we're talking about lifestyle stuff, the living well, and other times we'll specifically talking more about food. Amazing. And I was on your podcast recently, so I'll include that link as well. That was super fun. Um, Thank you so much for talking about this. And, you know, sometimes we forget that it really does go back to basics. You can have a lot of success with mindfulness basics and a little bit of planning basics and uh, just really a little bit of challenging some of those weird beliefs that you picked up along the way, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. I love what you're doing. I love the contribution you're making in the world. And of course, like many life coaches, your profession ended up being something based on what you overcame. So you've got lots of great tips and ideas and training to back you up. Thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciated having you on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this episode. I bet you could really identify with what Lisa was talking about. I mean, who didn't grow up with the Clean Plate Club or some version of it? I was really moved also when Lisa shared the negative messaging she received about her weight when she was young. It is such a reminder of how important it is to catch the way you're thinking about food, your weight, your body, and your hunger today as an adult and be curious about it. You don't have to believe everything you think. You can decide if you want to continue to think whatever it is, especially when you understand how it makes you feel. And you see you have some options that the way you think is really optional, right? You really don't have to believe everything you think. So I know this episode gave you food for thought and that pun (laughs) is intended. Okay, now, as you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. This is how you put yourself on your agenda. My focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck and clear and focused on your current values and priorities so that you don't have regrets. I can help you create the success you're looking for. And that is why I created the Women in the Middle Academy with you in mind because it's a warm, supportive, and fun coaching community of like-minded women who really do grow forward together. It is totally possible to feel great about your roadmap to a more fun, meaningful, and regret-free next chapter. So email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's for you. Go ahead and book your free no-obligation momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. Do you want to have a book club experience, but with this podcast instead? Join the Women in the Middle podcast club by heading over to www.susierosenstein.com and click on the podcast club button. You'll see all the information you need there. And finally, for show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 333. 
Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.